Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, uh, coach, strength guild, um, geez, lift for hope, a bunch of stuff. So that's me. Hi, right, so this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, owner of Extreme Human Performance, resident geek at Eat to Perform, director of education, Mindset Performance Institute, and instructor for Globe University. Right on. Well, let's start with the obvious, Phil. I know we were just talking about this, but... Strength and Muscle Sport News. So, you got a big injury, and it's going to set our topic for the day later. <laughs> um, maybe just fill people in a little bit? Yeah. Um, so, basically, what happened was I was deadlifting. Since everybody, listeners, know that I had a hip replacement. So, I had a complete hip replacement. Coming back it, from it since June. Um, so... July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, about eight months. Um, one of the big things for me was training my body to work on both legs because um, I pretty much haven't – I've leaned on the right leg a lot for most of my life, but the left leg did some work. Um, so I've been retraining myself on deadlifts and squats to be two-legged, and, uh, you know, things were feeling really good just a couple weeks ago. I hit, you know, what was it, 585, <laughs> killed that. Went 635, hit that easy. Um, my previous best since surgery was 645. So I was like, okay, let's go 10 pounds over that. Um, planning on going up to 700 for my first 700 since hip replacement. Went for 655, started pulling, and my body shifted all the weight onto the right leg, the non-hip replaced leg. Ooh. And apparently 655 pounds is too much for a one-legged deadlift. Like all at once, <laughs> right? And, oh, no. And... Uh, uh, the, the hamstring, well, all I felt was a pop, um, and you could feel the muscle slide within the within the leg. Oh, um, and, uh, So I set it down, kind of hobbled away, and I was like, oh, yeah, I just did something bad. And having blown both bicep tendons, I pretty much knew exactly what it was. Right. Because um, it wasn't really painful. It was just you could feel a pop. And, and isn't that weird? The slide. Yeah. 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 And, uh. You know, I stood up, walked around, and I could still, like, do knee extension and flexion and things like that. The only thing that hurt was um, extending my knee completely and then trying to flex the hip, going into uh. flexion, reaching forward. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, something's wrong. I waited a day. It's like, oh, let's wait and see if there's any bruising, this and that. And I figured the bruising would come fast if it was a torn muscle, of course. Um, there was no bruising the next day. The day after that... Uh, this is when the bruising started. Of right. course, tendons, tendons bleed a lot less than muscles. And that, yeah. that effusion is serious, isn't it? I mean, I mean you're probably yeah. black and blue over, over a wide area now, aren't you? <clears throat> well, yeah, now it's down from my butt down past my knee. Um, so, yeah, I went in, and I pretty much told – I went to the ER first because it was Sunday. And uh, pretty much to get some pain pills because at this point things were hurting. And, uh, you know, they looked at it. I pretty much told them what it was. <laughs> they agreed. <laughs> Um, and then I, you know, went to my surgeon the next Monday. Smart. And, uh, he, they agreed. And, but the only thing we didn't know was where is it detached at the hip or at the knee? So I had to go for an MRI. So I got to sit in a little tube for an hour and a half. All these things are loud as hell. Too. Oh yeah. The new one, they didn't have this before, but they have headphones now to play music. Nice. So that helped. So I sat in there and jammed out while they, uh, did my MRI. Did you and, fit? And, I'm surprised you even barely. Fit. <laughs> I had to put my like from the from the shoulders down. It was okay, but I had to put my hands above my head because my shoulders wouldn't fit. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, they put butter on me and slid me into the tube, <laughs> um, and I sat there. And yeah, it, it's detached from the hip, um, complete detachment. Mm. So they're sending me to a specialist, uh, KU Med, because he didn't want to deal with it. He's like, I want a better guy to do it. Um, well, at least he's honest. So, yeah. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> so I go there Tuesday, and pretty much at this point, it's just setting up. We know what it is. It's just setting up surgery time. Um, it, supposedly, it's a very normal occurrence in athletes, especially like sprinters and things like that. So they've done, you know, the guy I was talking to, he did like three in the last six months. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, we'll go pin it back in. It's looking like, you know, maybe a six-week recovery time for the average person. So, Yeah, you know, Dan John said something once that always stuck with me. He's like, you know, you get it repaired, you get back in the race. He was so yeah. matter-of-fact about it that it, it makes it seem less catastrophic because, you know, what, what well, anybody, I mean, what, lifters can't be it's hysterical. Like, you know, like, I oh, my get, God. I can get mad. And upset, or well, I what else do you like, do? Yeah, it's like it's not going to help. I'm just going to, you know. So like, yeah. I waited, and Wednesday I started training again. You know, I took a little time off, and then Wednesday I started training again. I went in there and I did, you know, uh, single leg deadlifts out of the rack. I did some step ups. I did some leg extensions, leg curls with the good leg, the one that's not blown. Good, and yeah. Some ab work. You know, I'm just training everything but it. So, right. you know, I can't just not do it and slide into some weird depression. So yeah, right on. I'll get it fixed and get back in the game. So sounds like a plan, but boxing's off. So it's a little hard to oh, bounce around. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a little hard to <clears throat> bounce around and train for boxing while you have one leg. So I can't drive off my right leg even to, you know, basically all my rights, which are my power. It's my power. Would hand be would jelly. Be, yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, let me ask you real quick then. Do you suspect something like a, a nervous system, like a neurological shutdown because of the fake hip somehow? Like, you know, like I've heard that sometimes if a joint capsule is damaged, you'll get this massive inhibition and it just the muscles yeah, around it definitely. stop. And I think it's also just literally for the last 31 years. Yeah, practice. I have I have lived on that leg, you know, so I was trying to detrain 30 plus years anyways. Oh, and it did what it knew how to do. It, it knew, yeah, yeah. and it, it just back. totally, you know, and add the hip replacement onto that, and it just totally shifted away from that leg. Okay, you know, yeah. and mm. snap. You know, so it's really a surprise it didn't. It's it's a surprise that leg has held up this long. And then of course they're like, oh yeah, by the way, while we were MRI in your hip, we looked at your knee, and man, it's horrible. I was like, yeah, I knew that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was told that like eight years ago, yeah. the doctor said just keep going until it blows. Scar tissue and bone spurs. You can't just clean it up. He yeah. said you're gonna just go until that thing goes. I was like, so it doesn't hurt. Well, there so you go. Like, keep going. Yeah. So. And then when it goes, you get that replaced or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> the the bad thing is this was like this was my last limb that has not been worked on. Oh no! So, oh no! <laughs> it was my only limb that. Had no, been. it's funny. There's, there's phrases like I'm on my last leg. <laughs> Yeah, you really exactly. are. <laughs> I literally, literally. injured my right. leg. So, oh, okay. No. All right, well, we're, let's do the usual news. I, I arranged the news this week, everybody. Uh, according, it gets increasingly interesting, and it's going to culminate with a piece from uh, Dr. Nelson, I think. But this first piece is about gut bacteria. I mean, it's unavoidable, it seems like, in the news these days. It says beneficial microbes are linked to antibody production. And... Uh, if any listeners are in the, the boat my family's in right now, we, we just had early spring break here. I don't know why we have it so early at my university, but we've all been laying around with some kind of virus, right? So you've got to have your immune system active or shut down your lifting for sure. It says over time, human evolved alongside beneficial microbial community called the microbiome. Uh, in return for a place to live, these microbiota help regulate digestion in the gut. They compete with harmful pathogens uh, for nutrients. They boost the immune system as well. In a recent study from the Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, scientists identified yet another role for the microbiome. Apparently, they help your immune system produce IgA. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, immunoglobulin A is sort of a first line of defense. I always think in a classroom like the front row, you know, there's kids hacking and wheezing on me, you know, or you're kind of stuck, right? I mean, at least I'm about 10 feet away, but anybody ever sat right next to you and they're coughing, you know, you get all irritated. IgA is sort of a first line of defense kind of thing. It's made by B lymphocytes, so uh, B cells, white blood cells in your immune system. And what they did was they took using a mouse model and some cultured cells, so it's removed from people a bit, but um, they were able to get the expected B lymphocyte immunoglobulin response, right, antibody response uh, from healthy mice, but then it says, however, upon observing mice without a healthy microbiome due to antibiotic treatment, 
they had severely reduced uh, IgA or you know immunoglobulin A. So these germ-free mice, they really didn't have enough IgA uh, to be that first line of defense and protect them, you know, against uh, illness. So it says these observations are further evidence of overuse and misuse of antibiotics in medicine and in food production and how it negatively impacts the natural balance of cells in our body, both foreign, meaning the microbiome, and also our own white blood cells. So uh, now we're even linking it to, uh, you know, immune system. And once I start to see that, I start to wonder, I mean, your immune system is part of muscle recovery and remodeling and rebuilding. I mean, maybe not so much the lymphocytes, but certainly the, like, monocytes and macrophages. So uh, stay tuned for more on that. Hmm. Uh, next up, uh, GMO food animals. This is sort of a opinion piece here. Um, it says they should be judged by product, not by process. So uh, it says globally more than 20% of animal protein is lost as a result of disease. So, of course, they're very interested in using recombinant DNA technology or different kind of genetic engineering practices to make animals resistant to, you know, muscle-wasting diseases. Uh, for years, uh, the livestock industry has used, like, anabolic hormones. You know, the more muscle on the animal, more meat to eat, you know, kind of thing. In fact, I have a great book from the – I think it's from the um, National Research Council – it's called metabolic modifiers, and there's a ton mm. of stuff you can learn about growth factors, IGF-1, clenbuterol, all these kinds of things that they give to animals to make them so muscular. And, of course, this is regulated, and a lot of people don't like hormones in their animals. I, I personally don't mind. But it says uh, it should be noted that just before this a recent publication on this, the Food and Drug Administration approved commercialization of a type of genetically engineered salmon. And I remember hearing about this last oh, yeah. year. yeah, I did too. Yeah, the first food animal to get this kind of approval. Uh, it says the evaluation process of this fast-growing fish took almost two decades and cost tens of millions of dollars. And it says, and yet fast-growing conventionally bred salmon undergo no regulatory oversight. So this guy's basically saying you can manipulate their genes all you want through breeding practices or things other than genetics, and you don't really get much attention. But when you start to genetically modify them, then it gets lots of attention, and some people would agree with that. It says GMO food animal regulation at the international level, an agreement called the Cartagena Protocol on Biosafety is the main source of regulation. Uh, it defines modified organisms to be only those produced by modern technology. But, of course, that's, that seems vague, you know. And also it says, uh, however... Uh, plants and animals can be modified through other methods and then, again, not get much attention. So he says GMO plants uh, have been adopted by 18 million farmers globally. I've actually heard that a very high percentage of the corn we eat in this country is already GMO. Yep. Uh, so it says first developed in 1983, the genetically modified plants moved into the commercial market in less than 10 years. So uh, this guy is basically making the argument, and again, this is from uh, technologynetworks.com, but that we, we need to look at livestock. I mean, whether it's cows, salmon, whatever it might be, according to their risks and benefits, not how they were brought into you know, the fast-growing or hypermuscular state that they're in. Uh, so I think he's sort of arguing that you know, don't be too paranoid about GMO just because it's GMO. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, next up, this is something that I came across on a university campus, and I had a little bit of a laugh. Uh, the, the, I'm often kind of fussing about who I call health educators. You know, they're the sort of generalists, the, <laughs> you know, the don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do kinds of people. And um, this is called health graffiti. Uh, and number four on the list caught my eye. Which is a side effect of steroid use? A, kidney, heart, and liver damage. B, an increase in height. C, mood swings that lead to violence. D, or for men, shrunken testicles, and for women, growth of facial hair. And they say the answer is A, C, and D. The anabolic steroids yeah. cause kidney, heart, and liver damage. They cause mood swings that can lead to violence. 
uh, and they have harmful unintended side effects such as shrunken testicles and facial hair. So of this list, I think they, they might want to go recheck their math on a couple of these things. I mean, if you look at the primary literature about roid rage, for example, you could see uh, you could actually find some studies with healthy men and uh, they might have an, an improvement in mood. They might have some alterations in mood, but they're not going to you know start climbing towers with <laughs> sniper rifles or something uh, either. So, and this this stuff about kidney, heart, and liver damage—that's just such a loaded question to me, because it really depends on what type. The amazing thing to me is, with hundreds yeah. of different kinds, they always get lumped into one category. And of course, liver damage. There are things like nandrolone. You know, I don't really see yeah. that doing a whole lot to your liver. As far as the heart damage, yeah, I can see really high doses of stuff could cause enlarged heart. Maybe I mean, you could even see it on an EKG in extreme cases, but. A lot of this stuff is, you know, like everything is not anadrol, you know, so I, they make it sound like it is. So it, it's interesting to me that, again, with the, the generalist, you know, the health educators, they're at it again. So Yeah, and as you know, the liver ones are usually the most toxic are the methylated oral ones. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Those are pretty much a nightmare for your poor liver. Right. Yep. Because as is most over-the-counter prescription yeah this is tylenol and acetaminophen so <laughs> right well and you know i mean as far as almost all orals almost if they don't methylate them first pass metabolism will just degrade them yeah, right that's why you can't swallow testosterone right your liver just destroy it i don't know uh okay and our last bit of news i think you have there dr nelson <clears throat> yeah and i have one more too <clears throat> yeah this is the, the title here from Fox News, where I go to get all my news. Right. I don't watch the news anymore. But um, this beer has as much protein oh. as steak. So their opening line is, looking to keep those rock-hard abs and party on? <laughs> uh, UK-based online supplement shop has a beer that contains as much protein as a cut of sirloin steak, according to the Daily Star, my second best source of news. Mm-hmm. The shop called MuscleFood.com spent a whole three months perfecting a barbell brew that has 21.8 grams of protein, which is 95% more than your average beer. Well, your average beer doesn't really have any protein, right. so it's not too hard, <laughs> too hard to do. But Still, that's not a bad dose. No, it's not bad. Um, so at 92.4 calories and 85% fewer carbs than most beers... It, let drink, it lets drinkers kick back and have a cold one without getting a beer belly, according to their product page. Um, so it's interesting that if you go to the product page, uh, it is gluten-free, 3.6% uh, alcohol Not content. Not I guess, yeah. Yeah, so it supposedly, according to their website page here, tastes pretty good and has fruity overtones. Oh, okay. So they're selling this. Is this more general population? Like protein won't give you a gut? I thought, what, I think it called Barbell it Brew? Looking, yeah. It, looking at the marketing stuff, it looks like it's exactly that. Because you've got you know, all the low-carb beers and all that kind of stuff. It looks like it's just a different spin on that. Because initially, I thought it was geared more towards athletes or something like that, which I thought was interesting. Right, yeah. Uh, but I think it's trying to push protein instead of carbohydrates so you you keep that nice looking abs you have there i caught your sarcasm on the whole three month experimentation me too right like what's the usual pipeline for product yeah. development you know i think it's more than 12 weeks <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny um i got one and I, I agreed to do this just because of uh basically it upsets me it, I'm, I'm going to help promote a seminar. And because I've thrown a lot of these things, and what you always see is you put it up, and everybody's like, yeah, I'm going. You get 500 people to say that. And then yeah. when it comes time to put money down, you get like six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, one of the listeners has, is throwing a workshop with a person that we had on the show, Matt Winning, um, is doing a workshop up in New York City at Velocity Sports New York. Um and then you know, I told him I'd give him a shout-out and see if any Iron Radio listeners would be interested. And he's also offering a discount to any Iron Radio listeners to go to the show. Oh, cool. So to get the discount, you need to email him at Adrian Alvarez, adrian.alvarez at velocitysp.com, A-D-R-I-A-N dot A-L-V-A-R-E-Z at velocitysp.com. 
to see Matt winning March 19th and 20th. So you'll get a discount. He also posted that on our Facebook page after I put it up. Where all the hot info is. Yep, that's right. <laughs> right. Iron Radio page. All goes down. This will just take me just a second. But, yeah, I mean, Matt Winning is, uh, if, if you listen to it on the show, you should get an idea of what he's going to talk about. He's an interesting guy. Okay. Um, you, if you're in the NSCA, you get two CEUs. Oh, good to know. Um, stuff like that. Okay. Nice. So, yep. Okay, I have one thing before we go to break. You guys, this is a listener mail from Paul, and uh, we can all chime in on this. Uh, but here we go. It says, I am currently 206 pounds, 25% body fat. I am planning on doing a slow cut, about one pound per week, for 12 weeks. This won't be enough to reach my goal weight of 175, but I don't want to spend much more time than that in a deficit. So my plan is to do two or three 12-week cutting bouts uh, with 12 weeks at maintenance between each one. Is the plan of 12 weeks cutting, 12 weeks maintaining a realistic approach? Is 12 weeks maintaining a body weight between cuts a reasonable amount of time to reset and stabilize my body chemistry? And then he gives a little life history of his, uh, he, you know, he bulked up to 200 pounds, and then he, now he wants to cut back down. Anyway, appreciate your time. Love the show. Feel free to address on air, Paul. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's the minimum amount of time I have people hold usually is three months. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, we're, we're lacking some information. Like, where did you start um, and where did you go up to? Getting up to 25% is pretty high to me. Oh, well, I can give you uh, that, actually. He did say um, back in tw the first half of 2014, he bulked from 165 up to 200, and then he climbed up to 210 slowly. Uh, now he's around 206 at 25%. So. Okay, and he's going to drop down. So basically, you're looking for hopefully a 10-pound gain. Um, I suppose that's acceptable. I mean, it seems a little low to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, take take three months diet and then take three months and hold there. I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, it's a much better approach than most people take, which is I need everything off now. <laughs> right, yeah. And sometimes so, you have to for a target that you got a show coming up in 20 weeks. You know what yes. I mean? You have to go full Monty. But of course. Yeah, I think health uh, a health perspective – uh, this is probably what a lot of people would like, although it's yes. worth pointing out. Uh, Phil and I both uh, like people to hold their body weight, especially if you get down somewhere around 10% below usual. You should really hold it for a while. I mean, if you don't have a target date, but there's not a, a scientific paper, to my knowledge, that's going to definitively say, listen, we did a big meta-analysis. you got to hold a new body weight for this long for it to accept a new set point. You know what I mean? It's That's more of a practice thing, and I would guess people even differ uh, on some level with that. But I found 90 days to be pretty effective, though, either up or down. Um, so three months. But, uh, yeah. yeah. What about you, Dr. Nelson? Yeah, I would generally agree with all that. The only thing I would add is that during that three-month period where you're holding, again, we don't know where he's at for calories and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. If his calories, just to maintain, are getting super low, I would slowly try to sneak a few more calories in while keeping body composition pretty neutral, yeah. right? Because you don't want to get in the thing where you did a cut and you you know get down to, I'm just purely making up numbers here, 1,500 calories, right? And then you hold there and then you're like, oh, I want to do another 12 weeks of a cut. Well, it's going to be pretty hard with that, that low of a number yes. already. Yeah. So that's the only thing I would Progression. Um, just be careful of. No, I agree. During that hold, yeah, you should be looking to bring your metabolism back, not just yep. not just hold at that low calorie level. Yeah, exactly. So. For me, that's actually the, the touchy part because normally people are weight stable. A healthy person is supposed to be weight stable. But in these maintenance phases, you're, you're significantly depressed under your normal body weight, right? Mm -hmm. And arguably, right, calorie intake or your metabolic rate are slower – um, to me, that's the trick really is what you're doing in those maintaining phases. Cause if you, yes. if you overfeed too much, you start going right back to where you were. Yeah. And so getting your body and again, counting calories would be one way to do it. I suppose, um, you could also do stuff like change the frequency of the weight training or the cardio. I mean, I still know bodybuilders who do almost no cardio when yeah. they, when they cut. 
and that blows my mind. But sometimes drugs come into play, to be completely honest. So yeah, and I mean, I don't know. There's a, I'm, I'm still under the belief that there's a lot of people that are into this stuff that are just underfed. Like oh, I had, definitely. I had somebody reach out to me the other day asking, "Hey, I want to bulk up. I want to just get huge, this and that." And I was like, "Great." You know, what kind of diet should I go on? I pretty much told them my usual, which is the if it fits in your mouth diet. Um, <laughs> Seafood diet? Yeah. And right. It's like, okay, so what? Like 2,500 calories? I was like, for your daughter? <laughs> I mean, literally, my, my 123 pound girls eat more than that. Right, right. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> I mean, like, I got one girl that's just cutting for meat, and we had a few days where she hit, like, 1,500 calories, and but still, I mean, and she's only 100, she weighed in at 119, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was, that was trying to cut weight for a few days, so. Yeah, I think a lot of it's your macros, you know, and uh, I, I personally, I can't imagine trying to drop a pound of fat a week with no cardio. I don't know how, how that's even done. I, I mean, like I said, people do it. Uh, we're going to have um, a guy I know at the local gym uh, on the show. He's deep in the throes of a of a competition diet, and I don't think he does much cardio. So I'm very curious as to exactly how they how he's doing that. You know, because and like I said, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push any buttons and dig too much on stuff that might be private. Because let's, in my opinion, if you're not doing cardio, I don't I don't know how you do that completely naturally. You know, but then again, a lot of these quote unquote natural bodybuilders, they live on ephedrine. You know, they're going to buy primatine tablets at the local drugstore and they take two of those every six hours or something. I don't know. It's crazy. But yeah, and there's always probably some genetic freaks where their metabolism just doesn't downregulate as fast. And then you've got the poor bastards where theirs downregulate super fast, too, you know, and they yeah. both could be doing the same thing. So, yeah, yeah. definitely not the norm, though. Okay, so long story short, Paul, that seems realistic. If you don't have a target date, uh, probably better, yeah, not to just keep crashing downward, downward, but keep a, keep an eye on the, the progression model. You know, like, again, if you're going to do your refeeds or you're going to stabilize, you're just going to have to monitor. You know, you're going to have to keep stuff pretty calculated, I would think, so you're not going up or down. Um yeah, and last thing I would say on him for where he's at, his performance should still be pretty good most of the time. So if he sees his performance all of a sudden just tanking, he's probably being a little bit too aggressive on his yeah. cut. So, Yep. Cool. All right, let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, when and, if we have time, how uh, to change gears regarding your lifting goals. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry and what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, 
uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Welcome back to Iron Radio. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Dr. Lonnie Lowry and Coach Phil Stevens. And today we're talking about changing gears on your lifting goals. Right. I have a couple of questions for you guys, actually. Uh, we actually did a show uh, called Changing Your Game almost exactly two years ago. But it was more personal stories where, where Rob and Phil and I were just talking about how we basically chose what we chose as far as lifting. But I thought it might be a little bit more instructive maybe or educational to talk about when people do this. So I'm going to throw out a few things and you guys just give me your thoughts. So when people change their goals, uh, there are a couple of different categories here, and this is by no means exhaustive. But one uh, was stimulated by Phil's recent hamstring tear, and that's, a catastrophic health issue. Um, Phil, your thoughts on that? Because you've dealt with these. What's the first? <laughs> what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Um, for me, when I get injured, yeah. Like, how are you going to change? You know, you got to pick something. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Is okay. What am I going to do? Because I know it's not. I mean, it's definitely not. I'm quitting. Like, I mean, it's okay. What am I going to do to come back? You know, is what I start thinking about right away. Like when I blew my first bicep of the whole ride home, I was like, okay, what's going to take to get back? Because um, I'm not going to just get depressed. We talked about this before the show. I'm not, it doesn't help me at all to get in the, get in the low and just, oh, what was me? So it's like, what am I going to do to come back? What am I coming back to? Um, or it's just like for me, it's been totally changing gears. Hip replacement, okay, I'm going to try boxing. Now, oh, hamstring tear. I need both legs to box. Okay, what am I going to do now? Um so, yeah, it's just me figuring out where I'm at, what am I going to do, what's the best solution for me. Um, me now, after <laughs> every limb is now injured, um, you know, it was, okay, how am I going to train and what am I going to go for? So, basically, it just shifted my gears to my plan anyways was to, for my 40th birthday, <laughs> to be as lean as I've, I've ever been. So, I've just fast-forwarded that. Um, it's like, okay, boxing's out, can't do it, not going to be ready, so we're going to move to this. So, so leanness is here on out. From here until August, it's going to be get this surgery done. Right now I'm concentrating on every part of me except for that limb to get it as, as muscular as I can. Um, and then after the, the injury, it's trying to get the wheels back by August, and then I'm doing a slow cut from August until February. Oh, so, through the holidays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the opposite of everybody else. Yeah. I, I like doing the opposite. It's like I like cutting in the winter <laughs> and not getting ready for like I'm getting ready for Christmas instead of getting, getting right. ready for everybody else is getting ready for the beach. You know, I'm getting ready for winter. Well, honestly, you know, with, with the realistic date of a diet anyway, the time frame, most people, they try to start dieting for spring break in February. Yeah. And I'm like, you're already two months too late, you know. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm giving myself six months. That's plenty. I mean, more than enough time to just slowly get there. And, uh. You know, with the goal, I would love to be like my my end goal would be if I can be very lean at like two thirty, because I think that's pretty freaking big. Like low teens, uh, like like no twelve percent or even like more. under ten. Ooh, oh, okay. Wow. At two thirty, so being at two sixty right now, basically my goal is to push up to about two eighty, um, and then come down from there. I think you'll be surprised. You'll probably look more jacked. Um, yeah, you know. Oh, exactly. And because I mean, I don't care what anybody says. It's yeah, it's not Olympia ready, but two thirty and lean is pretty freaking big. It is. <laughs> no, it is. It sure is. Um, so that's that's the goal now. And uh, yeah, it's just 
you know, basically that's the first thing that comes to my head. Okay, where am I going? What am I going to do? Because I'm not going to just just fall in a slump. Um, I took a week and a half off and came back at it. You know, right on. So. Yeah, you always you're always like that. You know, you're back lift even when you rehab. You rehab so aggressively. It oh, yeah. almost makes me wince. <laughs> like I'll take a day off after surgery. I'm in there. Yeah. What am I going to do? I got to coach anyway, so I'm in the gym. So. Right. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Nelson? Catastrophic health. Have you ever had anything happen? I mean, it doesn't have to be a tear, but something that ch- made you really sort of think about changing gears as far as your lifting goals? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, in the past, I've had all sorts of horrible injuries. I blew my right ankle out in a snowboarding injury in 2005. And uh, the summer before that, actually, I pulled both my hip flexors and my groin. Don't ever do that. That was by far the most painful mm. injury. Because you you walk around like a crippled penguin, mm. and then you you forget that those muscles are used to pull your pelvis over each other at night when you're trying to sleep. So like rolling over, you know, like kind of grimace in pain, and you grab the sheets underneath to try to slide half oh, your pelvis underneath. Doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> so what do you do? Um, I mean, what was your goal then? Or did um, you just so have to take was- time off? You know, yeah. So with the hip flexor stuff, I just did more upper body stuff. Um, I actually couldn't drive because I couldn't move my foot from the gas to the brake very fast. Um, so I couldn't drive for almost like a probably around a month. Oh, Lord. and then the ankle was the same thing. It was my right ankle, and I didn't trust myself driving with my left ankle until I could put pressure on it. Um, so luckily, a friend of mine drove me to work at that time. I was working for a med tech company and. Uh, another buddy of mine, he gave me a ride to the gym a couple of times, which was kind of nice. So for the gym stuff, I would just, you know, walk in in crutches and do some upper body mach- machine stuff. Um, I couldn't do too much with my left leg just because I was afraid of crashing on my right ankle and making it worse until I could put some weight on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but And then once I got the, the walking cast off, for example, with the ankle, just trying to get as much movement back as I could. So one thing that I found that is helpful is focusing on what you can do for movement as long as it's not painful and obviously cleared by your physician. So in the case of my ankle, it was like, you know, the size of a muskmelon with like toes sticking out of it. (laughs) So my first goal was laying down, you know, kind of really move my big toe even a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, and then after a while, you know, can I get just a, you know, millimeter of ankle, you know, plantar flexion and that kind of stuff and go from there. Um, So I found that by, you know, looking at whole body, what other movements you can do that are not painful. And then with sort of the injured area, once you have clearance, what are these small movements you can do just to slowly try to regain some of that function? Right. The beautiful thing about the human body is you can progress. I mean, if you're incredibly mm-hmm. out of shape or you're at square zero, yeah, I mean, walk a block or like you said, wiggle your feet up and down half an inch yeah. and then build. It's a That's the positive part about it it's always a building sort of thing you know uh you you really just sit and focus on all the stuff you can't do now that you're on some level really training your body that you can't do those things and of course you're gonna have limits because you have an injury um but i think that like what phil was saying with being depressed i the people i've seen who just constantly focus on what they cannot do when they're injured mm-hmm. their usually mental state is not very good yeah so and that's one of the big things I do is immediately when I have something like this, I just erase the PR board. Yep. And I, I keep those there, but, I mean, it's like I start new ones. Like, okay, everything's a zero. Yep. So anything yep. I do from here is new. Mm-hmm. You know, and you That's know, good. Okay. Yeah, just archive the old stuff. You know? Yeah, and it's like, okay, I still want to get there, but for now, my best is this. Yeah. So if I beat that by five pounds, I just won. I actually asked my wife for some input because I'm like, we're going to, you know, we're goal oriented people, but what would a professional say? And she said, when she works with clients, acceptance, right? You don't Mm -hmm. have to enjoy or condone what's real, but what's real is real and you've got to go from there. And so that takes a lot of strength, actually. You know, you'll feel like you don't want to admit weakness, but instead, eventually you've got to come around to a certain reality. Like you said, let's wipe the board and we'll start now. You know, yeah. we'll start from here. Uh, I've been dealing with that myself a little. I'm not going to go down my list of injuries. I've actually, strangely, both my right limbs, uh, I've had a, a reconstruction or a tear. But for me, really, I think it's the slow realization that I, I'm struggling with some osteoarthritis. I mean, my mom has seriously got it. I can kind of see it in my hands already because I'm, you know, late 40s. And I've, 
I've had to change goals. I cannot go into the gym and be around guys lifting heavy weights. I mean, I don't mind it, but as far as like, I can't do that. I just, I've got to focus on what my brother and I used to call the Rick Valente approach. I don't know if anybody remembers the old ESPN body shaping. Oh, but he, he'd get on there and he would always do like sets of 20 and he was, yeah. he was jacked. I mean, ripped Good dude. And I'm, we're always like, why is he doing that? And then now that I'm the age he was, cause he was probably late forties when he was doing that. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Because that's sustainable, you know, like, uh, especially oh, yeah. once you meet certain, uh, competitive goals in your life, I, you kind of get into this now what kind of yeah. thing, you know, and. Uh, I'll do negatives. I'll do speed work, but I'm I'm just not lifting heavy weights. I mean, it's going to make some of our listeners cringe, but I rarely go over 275 in the squat. Uh, if you really think about it, how how much do you really need to do that if your goal is body composition? You know. Well, so. and I'd already even strength. This is something that like one of the first persons I reached out to when I when I popped my hamstring was Windler. And what do we do? We get to talking about it. It's like, man, yeah, we just got it. You know, we're both about the same age. And we're both coming off very competitive careers as athletes. And um, it's like just realizing that, yeah, we are older. And realizing that we're carrying all this muscle, but we don't have to do that much to to maintain or even go forward. It's like we don't need to consistently pull. If you want to pull seven, we don't need to pull high sixes. We can maintain and build that strength pulling fives. You know, right, yeah, and just yeah. do you know, and just because we're always within reach of that build capacity at a you lower know, if weight. We just if we just if we just push a little bit of weight and do it right, you know, and yeah. and more concentrate on that and concentrate on the stretching and the mobility and this and that. It's like the strength is there if we push it all the time. At this age, we're just we're not the the, the young sports cars right. we used to be. We're and you know, old truck. That's true of muscle mass too. Like. I always teach students that hyperplasia, you know, or uh, satellite cell activation, all this. It doesn't add up hugely compared to just hypertrophy or growth of the existing muscle cells, like, in the short term. But once you're at it for decades, let's pretend it's, you know, pretend it's 1% a year. Well, yeah. 30 years later, you've got 30% more muscle cells, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in theory, completely in theory. Yes. But that's that sort of, like you're saying you're you're always going to be more heavily built you know yeah. you're always going to be stronger and it's remarkable how yeah that can actually change your strategy as far as maintaining or even improving in some way yeah we just got to use all that tissue now yeah and it'll just kind of stay there so yeah it's that and i mean that's all part of my plan too it's like i know i'm gonna lift heavy i'm again i've had people like text me it's time to not lift so heavy well no that's not an option <laughs> that's not an option for me right but i'm gonna yeah. take a year and that's a year I need to heal up, you know. And in that time, I'll have other I'll have other goals. But I'm going to spend that time also doing mobility and getting this left leg where it should be for the first time in my life, yeah. And things like that. So right, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it, and we've talked about this before, is that the more I think about stuff, the eh, I'm getting a little bit older, early 40s. Um, I think the soft tissue is really the limiting factor. Um, it seems like muscle tissue, even in older adults, tends to heal pretty good. But usually, you know, talk to older people who have a little more wear, things of that nature. It's usually the soft tissue that tends to be a limiting factor. Um, so I think what you were saying, Lonnie, I think is a good idea because over time, if your goal is just super heavy lifting a lot, that tissue just tends to get stiffer, which if you're trying to hit, you know, parallel in a back squat is actually a positive adaptation. You know, if you're trying to squat all the way down just to keep mobility, it's kind of working against you. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, higher... The velocity movements that are safe, you know, a little bit lighter weight, right, a little bit greater range of motion, even the bodybuilding type stuff to get a little more fluid going through exactly. there. I think all exactly. those are positive adaptations. Yep, exactly. And th- that's like that, again, that Rick Valente approach. I mean, he was an unabashed just bodybuilder, you know, and mm-hmm. he looked really great. And bodybuilding is something, especially if you're not, I am not a big framed person, you know, so it's the kind of thing where, you could do it your whole life. I mean, you really can. I'm going to sound like an old Joe Weider editorial here, but it's what's <laughs> beautiful about bodybuilding is you can do it your whole life. You can focus more on leanness. You can focus on reps. You know, you can do lots of different things because for me, I mean, I was never pushing weights like a power lifter anyway, but yeah, the tendons are drier. I'm just not going to tear them free. Like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I, my mom actually would say some stuff though, like, oh, you got to stop that heavy lifting. I'm like, mom, listen. I'm doing sets of, you know, 12 to 20 now. 
you know, I, I'm trying to explain this in ways that she'll understand. I've retreated as, f- as far from the weights as I'm willing to retreat. So, <laughs> yes. and so, that's one thing you have to face. I mean, and that's really the hardest part for me. It's it's realizing that uh, I, I what I know and what people know me of is okay. He's going to go move some big stuff, and it's weird for even my gym goers. To oh, see me. right. Wow, he's only got two. Mm-hmm. On the it's your identity, but, you know. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's it's hard to lose that. But I mean, in the meantime, I also know that okay, you know, if I want to turn it on, it's there. It's it's like the big Mack truck that's just sitting there idling. <laughs> that's know? right. If if I need to turn it on, I can. I just don't have to all the time. Is what I have to get through my head, and it's like, man, I can turn my gears towards other right. things. Right. And sometimes that's hard. You know, you feel competitive. You know, somebody else is moving some big weights or you just get excited, you know, at least with me. So, yeah, it's almost – yeah, you almost have to be uh, kind of cautious with that. We've actually covered my second category of when to change gears, and that would be age, right? Age will do some things to you. And then you got to think about your goal, like accept where you are. And then, I mean, Phil, you once said something that is very much has been my philosophy is – if I'm going to engage in something, I want to be good. I mean, freaking good. Yeah. Um, not just do it and be average, you yes. know, at it. In fact, my wife will snicker. She knows I hate the A word, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but when you accept certain realities, uh, like, again, there are some guys my age, I mean, they can push some heavy weight. Maybe their training age is less or maybe mm-hmm. they're on they're on some stuff that enables them to do that. But you know what? I'm not. So – what can I do? Well, I could take advantage of my knowledge of, you know, I can adapt to what I'm doing in the gym and uh, and make some real progress instead of just being frustrated trying to squat heavier it, it, to the point that, you know, like my arms go numb because yeah. I've got, you know, disc degeneration or something scary. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And as far as goals go, I think that's the biggest one where people fail is they don't look at reality. Where am I at? What am I willing to do to get there? You got to figure those two things out before you even know if you can get to your yeah. goal. <laughs> so, the big thing is it's based on how I would answer that question is it's based on feedback. You know, if your body is every time you do squats and you're in a crap ton of pain, mm-hmm. either squats aren't so good for you at that point or how you're squatting isn't so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think paying attention to that feedback and I know pretty much all the injuries I've had in the past, and a few of them have been more sports related, but you know, the things that I've done, I look back and go, oh, yeah, that was kind of hurting for a while. Yeah, that didn't feel very good. Uh, performance kind of was dropping there, but at the time, I didn't want to listen to it. Yes. And then, oh, wow, now I'm in a lot of pain. Well, I was, well, it was pretty stupid. Yeah, <laughs> right. and I think with age, I mean, every rep becomes, you, you get a barometer. I mean, I know I do. It's yeah. like I can feel every rep. Oh, okay, that wasn't right. Okay, that, that's better. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. you've got to learn to listen to your body. That's one thing I try and train people in my gym is, Strain is good. Where the strain is acceptable, pain is not. Tell me if you're hurting. You know, mm-hmm. If we're doing, yeah. if we're, we're edging into the pain, we need to change something. I don't care if it's hard and it's really yeah, great. Push harder then. You know, strain. Yeah, you can strain all you want. And that's a skill. Uh, you yes, know. and it's it's because uh, the two are very much, uh, very similar in your brain. Like people don't know at the beginning the difference between, wow, this really is hurting, or wow, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. They, they register as the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of skill with years of lifting—that's one of those intangibles that you get really good at, like listening yeah. to your body. And that way, yeah, you can be guilt-free. Like you could go into a gym some days. I know we talked about this in years past, but if if it's just not happening, you're like something feels really off. Yep. You, you might do something minimal or completely not on your plan, and then just leave early if you have to, or yep. you know, just turn around and leave. You're like, this is not. It's not going to happen today, and, yeah. and you're not guilty. It's not lazy, and you can tell something in your body is saying, this isn't lazy, mm-hmm. like this is hurting, or something's really off. Yes, you know, and that's like even my spotters at the gym with all the stuff I've had with my hip and everything. If I'm squatting heavy, I, of course i got spotters on each side, but they know, like they'll come reaching for the bar, and I'll tell them in the middle of a squat if it's just like it's barely moving. I'll, I'll yell out, no, I got it. Right. Because Don't it's touch just it. hard. Don't touch it. It's just hard. Yeah. It's fine. But I'll tell you, if, if something feels bad, I'll yell, take it. You know, it's okay, take it. You know, because right. it wasn't right. Yep. It was, that was, <laughs> there's a slight difference between very bad and very hard. Mm-hmm. So. And who's to say how many times all of us have walked away, and listeners, you too, that 
if you listen to your body, you may have just avoided a catastrophic tear or something mm-hmm. oh, because yeah. you you actually and you, and yet you do, you won't know. You'll never know yeah. because yeah. you avoided it. Yes. You know? Yeah, um, and I think the older I've gotten, the more I tend to err. Hopefully, err on the side of safety. Mm-hmm. You know, where you get that point, even like in a heavy deadlift, where I'm like, huh. Should I keep pushing? And there's a little voice in your head that's like, no, I don't think so. And then a lot of times there's a little voice that's like, oh, it's just slow. Everything's okay. It's okay. You know, and learning to differentiate those two, like you were saying, Phil, even mid-lift is, I think, a very useful skill. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, one more as far as when to change lifting goals. Um, Assessing your potential. This kind of goes back to what we were saying already as far as accepting what's real um, but Phil, I mean, you probably, I mean, having a facility there, you may be best equipped to answer this, but how do you coach people to reassess their potential? Like if somebody comes to you and they just like, they just like lifting or maybe they want to do something and like, I can tell you in bodybuilding, there's a lot of guys I've seen in the gym. They have a fair amount of muscle mass. They're not, they're not going anywhere. I, I, that yeah. sounds arrogant. I'm sorry. You, you know, you just or if you do, you're going to be one of those sort of unique physiques. But you know, you're not pretty. You're you're just God didn't put you together very pretty. Uh, yeah. So what do you do I, with people to I reassess? I do it on a person to person basis, but usually I'm just very blunt about it. It's like, no, nah, no, you suck. You're not going to be a marathon runner. You're going to do this. You know. Uh-huh. But no, what I tell them is this. I mean, I will train people at anything. If you come to me and you're built like Brian Shaw, but you tell me you want to be a <clears throat> marathon runner, I'll go ahead and train you that at that. But I'm also going to just constantly give you hints that, hey, you know, you'd probably be really good at this. Let's try this. <laughs> Steer you know? them. Yeah. Like I had one girl who I've coached her for four years now, and she was in one sport. And I was like, that's great. Let's train for that. In the meantime, she's just totally built for weightlifting, for Olympic weightlifting. So I was like, in the meantime, let's practice this a little bit. It took me like three and a half years. She finally like, you're right. I'm just going to concentrate on weightlifting. It's like, <laughs> you're great. Sneaky. We finally made it. You know? <laughs> so it was a three and a half year battle, but. You know, it made her realize that, okay, I am really good at this sport. Why not do what I'm good at? So I will, like, introduce them to something that I think that they're just built for and and give them as small doses if they're reluctant to it and slowly edge that up and just tell them how great they are at it and blah, 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 blah. But in general, I'm just very blunt about it. It's like, yeah, man, you're – like, I got one guy that's like – his kid is phenomenal and he is a little older and has a bunch of injuries and this and that. And I was like, dude, your kid has like seven times more potential than you. So I'm going to pay attention to him. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, uh, no, I'm able to joke with him a lot. I mean, he trains his butt off and he's getting a lot better. But, um, you know, his son has potential to be a weightlifter. He doesn't. You know, it's like, don't right. let's not waste our time there because all you're going to do is hate it. Let's do this. You know, right. There's got to be an element. Succeed. Right. People, success. Yeah. People in the end, they love doing things they're just naturally good at. Yeah. So if you introduce them to something, you know, they're going to be naturally good at, they're going to see that right away and then they're going gra- to gravitate towards that, you know? Yeah. So it's just introducing them to that is all you have to do and just figure out how to do that. Little yeah. doses at the beginning. So. Right. Yeah, well, it's that little dose thing. It it, be, it does become fun, progressive successes. And at some point, that's what's great about muscle sports, I think, in general, is if you're not pretty with little joints and a little waist and cappy shoulders or whatever, you might be strong as hell. Yes. You know, and that's very cool, too. Uh, uh-huh. the, the flip side of that is maybe somebody, they are more slight of frame, and I don't I wouldn't want them to think that they have to be a super heavyweight power lifter in order to you know enjoy the squat, you know, and that kind yes. of stuff because they can develop an amazing physique and maybe it's more on the aesthetic side. Yeah. But, uh, Dr. Nelson, what about you? I mean, obviously you have clients, you yourself, uh, have you ever reassessed? You're like, "I think I'm good at X instead of Y." Yeah, I think the <clears throat> The biggest point, at least for me personally, was um, uh, Adam Glass was here, and I used to train in his gym a lot, so he helped me a lot with training. So he's the one who got me into grip stuff, and he's a nationally ranked grip competitor and just odd lifting. And I've kind of seen you know, some of that stuff before, but I was like, eh, you know, all the stuff I saw was very symmetrical list, power lifting. And I did a few meets, and eh, you know, nothing, nothing great. I mean, when your bench press is more than your squat, you got <laughs> some things to work on. Um, but he was good because I would go to his gym and I'd be like, he's one of the few trainers I actually trusted to be like, Hey, you know, what should I try? And he'd come up with some, that's how I got into, you know, Denny stone lifting and grip and all that kind of stuff. 
And he wasn't like saying like Phil. He wasn't very pushy. He's like, you know, let's mm-hmm. let's just try this. I think this would be good for you. Mm-hmm. And he was actually a very good judge of looking at people and seeing, you know, relative to their other lifts, what would be a good um, starting point for them. And that was the same thing he said. Is like, you know, it's it's fun to be good at something, you know, and whether and good is all relative in terms to your other lifts or in terms to other people. Um, so I kind of do that even with clients now in their programming. They may say, I'll look at their structure and, you know, I had one client recently and she was wanting to do obstacle races and she was an online client and you look at her and you're like, huh, it's not quite built for that, but very strong, um, uh, powerlifting, strongman type stuff, you know, without a lot of dedicated training. So I would throw in, you know, like zercher squats and I would throw in other things that I know also have a high transfer to the goal that she, you know, stated. But are also a little bit more on the you know kind of powerlifting, strongman type side, strongwoman side. Um, and you know, last time I saw, she's kind of gravitated more towards that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I also try to, like Phil said, point out, hey, you know, this is a new lift, but you know, you actually did really, you know, good on this. How did it feel? And I'm really interested in what do they enjoy doing. And I know there's a big disconnect when they're like, I want to be a marathon runner. Really, I love lifting all this heavy weight stuff. Yeah. You know, and so I'll keep kind of pointing that out that mm-hmm. you kind of hate running. You really yes. like this stuff. Do you still want to <laughs> keep doing this? And yeah. over time, they kind of go, yeah, you know, I don't know what. It, and then once yes. they switch, they're like, man, I don't know what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. It's getting to re- people realize, especially with the running thing, it's okay that you don't have to do it. You know? yes. <laughs> it's okay yes. to just get strong. You know? yeah. yeah. And people don't realize that. So. Yeah. They think and they're not supposed to. Them yes permission to do what they really want to do yes. and not feel like they have to try to conform to society or their group of friends or yeah. whatever you know yeah. yeah i don't know how many converted runners we have but we have a lot so. <laughs> that's funny yeah even mc powers who we had on the show a few times she was a, a distance runner when i met that's her right. and now she's a st- university strength coach <laughs> yeah. yeah i find that very funny no you know what if somebody wanted to go in the other direction great you know, oh, sure. uh, yeah. maybe they're like type one endurance. They're just born like that with their muscle fibers and their uh, their potential. And that's great, too. You don't want to try to force everybody into things we like either necessarily. You know, As long but, as they enjoy it. And that's really yes. what they want to do. Yes. You know. Yeah. Right. That's on. a big thing. I got to duck out, guys. Okay. That's good. Some th- three things to think about, you know, catastrophic health issues, reassess your potential, even age. Uh, and then how you go about it, right? Or how you, uh, or when at least, you start thinking about new lifting goals. Yeah, the big hallmark for, I think, people to ask themselves is if they no longer enjoy lifting, then I think that's a perfect time to try to reevaluate what's going on. Good advice. All right, everybody. Uh, until next week. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, 
the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.